so hello everyone. Uh, welcome to our Euro 2020 or 21, whatever you want to call it, a prediction show. And um, yeah, let's begin. So you want to start with Group A then, Alfie? Then yeah, the uh, um, um, obviously the Group F, uh, which we'll get onto later, Hungary, Germany, France and Portugal, has picked up the Group of Death tag. Um, but I actually think this runs it pretty close to being the most competitive and close group in the Euros this year. Um, Italy are obviously coming to it on the back of just an absurd unbeaten run. I think it goes all the way back to the 2018 Nations League campaign. Uh, and uh, you've got three teams challenging Italy um, for second or third place in the group, uh, Turkey, Switzerland and Wales, who all have uh, decent pedigrees uh, behind them uh, as well. Um if we want to start talking about Italy, um, I know me and Louis are both on the Italy hype train and mm. have definitely bought uh, the Mancini uh, successful revolution. Um, I just, the only question for me uh, surrounding Italy is their fullbacks. Um, obviously, they're playing a 4 3 3 with two inside forwards in Insigne and Chiesa, or Insigne and Domenico Berardi which demands a lot of your full, fullbacks in a 4-3-3 and Emerson and Florenzi. Hmm. Um, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not quite sure about Louis. Louis, what do, what do you think about uh, Italy's squad going into it? Um, I think, yeah, obviously the squad is where, is where most of the questions lie. And I think right really well our fullbacks there. Um, Spinazzola, I, I, I think the thing is, when it comes to fullbacks, and when it comes with especially coach, um, who likes a very wide setup? Put it that way. Yeah. Um, you don't necessarily need the highest quality of individual player. I think the the fact that they have had an extremely consistent squad for the last three years, yeah. underrated, um, is is extremely important in international football. Very rare, especially in European international football. Mm. And I think you know their weakest point lies with. Honestly, the depth in the defence in the squad, I'd say. Because I think, at the end of the day, if you're starting Ed, what, Emerson and Florenzi, mm. um, I think that that's definitely strong enough to hold off you know, the best teams. Like we're talking about best attacks. I think those two can easily hold off the best attacks. Um, for me, the only question is, when you know, you get, you're going to have the inevitable game where Immobile or Berardi are going to falter a bit, um, mm. not really be on it. I think the question really, really comes to who do they, you know, how can they switch on the attack when it's really most needed? Because they can do the opposite to teams. When teams really fall down, fall down, draw, whatever, um, they often panic. Italy don't panic, and they're good at that. But what they need to be able to do is respond. Uh, I think at the end of the day, I think that whole group comes down to the first game of the entire tournament um, in Turkey. Uh, I think both teams have so much to prove in that in that uh, game. I think Italy, you know, have a squad to realistically make it all the way to win the tournament. Um, and a lot of the questions we have around them will be answered on uh, on Thursday. Um, just picking up on one of those phenomena you mentioned, and I mean, this will be a common theme throughout mm. our analysis. Um, whether this phenomena is good, bad, or indifferent is up to debate, but I think that's happened in, with Italy and what you touch on. There's no flyers in that squad. Mm. Um, you know, Zaniolo's, um, well, he got crocked obviously before COVID hit. And I mean, he'd have missed the original Euros anyway, but he's obviously uh, not made uh, the final cut this time. And I mean, to be honest, England are probably the clearest example of flyers into the squad. 
Um, yeah. Jude Bellingham obviously being the most obvious example of that. Um, but as I say, it's um, interesting to see whether that'll be good, bad or indifferent. Um, moving on to their opponents in their opening game, Turkey. Um, Louis, you've got a deep scepticism of Turkey, even though I think this time more than ever, their Dark Horses tag is probably merited. I guess you'll play um, bad cop, I'll play good cop with this. <laughs> um, no, I think they merit the, the tag. Um, I, 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 there's no doubt to that, right? Um, first of all, the fact that, that you know a good deal of their attacking, starting attacking unit plays together at Lille is very important. Um, that helps a lot, you know, good squad cohesion. They have good players who have bit... In the past, when, when they get dark horse tags, it's been because they have players who, on paper, seem like they are good players, but also have really bad sort of, you know, patches for their club. Uh, Channel Ogu, prior to coming to Milan, or prior to the last sort of What's year, you know, yeah. has been very mediocre. Um, he's actually picked up a lot of the slack in the last year and a bit. And you know, Björk Ilmaz, great striker, but who also isn't isn't that sort of striker in a team where you know, say Poland in 2016, um, say honestly, actually Turkey uh, in 2016 as well, uh, and Sweden in 2016, where where the striker is you know one of the star guys in the squad, if not the star guy in the squad, um, but doesn't click together well with the other guys and is a bit too. Plays a bit too independently, whereas Yomaj really, really plays well off uh, off the wing. So, I mean, I get why there's a lot of optimism. They also have a good defence. You know, Demiral and Shuyunchu are both great centre-backs. Um, for once, they have a sturdy midfield that's not too self-obsessed. The only fear I really have about them is um, their full-backs, sort of. Um, not as much. You'd probably know more about how their seasons have gone than I have. Um, mm. I only remember watching... Um, Turkey play. I remember watching uh, the Turkey Netherlands game there, where Turkey ran over Netherlands and proved a lot of people wrong. Um, the Netherlands still managed to, you know, have really consistent channels of attack moving down the wings, and I just fear they will come to a game where, you know, Turkey will get out of the group, I think, um, but it will come to a game where they will have to play a team who really go fast on the counter and that they they'll falter i get why they have the dark horse tag i just have doubts that it'll work against a serious big team netherlands has been the only yeah. really, really big test i think they've faced in the last sort of few years i think um one of the most i think the specific reason why turkey's dark horse tag this time around is um, more rewarded and deserved than ever before Obviously, Turkey have qualified for extremely few major tournaments. Um, they've only ever qualified for four tournaments ever. Um, and uh, in one of them, World Cup in 2002, they obviously made the semi-finals. And, you know, Turkey seemed to have this tendency of either, you know, shitting the bed or, you know, playing out of their skin uh, during tournaments or even qualifying campaigns, to be honest. Um, but this squad isn't like that. This squad has good heads on them. Um, obviously, going back to their qualifying campaign, um, they went one 0 down, completely undeservedly uh, away to France uh, in the in the Stade de France. I think it was in the October 2019 break, and um, deservedly came back to get a one 0 draw. Probably should have gone on and won the game. Um, they ended up losing away in Reykjavik uh, at Iceland. Ended up not mattering, um, but the fact that they didn't come away with a point from that after going two goals behind was pretty remarkable, really. Um, but, but yeah, um, it's it's obviously um, uh, going to be interesting to see 
whether they, you know, scrape through the group as one of those third teams or, you know, maybe even get nine points out of nine. I do have a favourite Turkey, just an outside commentary real quick. Is yeah. that there is a difference between, there's a difference level, type of pressure um, going into a game like the one they beat France, when they beat France, when they drew against France, when they beat Netherlands, they went into the, all those games as sort of on paper underdogs, right? Definitely not paper. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the same sense, they'll at the Euros, you know, if they get into quarterfinals, semis even, um, though that may be a stretch, but if they get into, you know, serious rounds against a serious team, um, they won't be favourites, but there is a very different type of pressure between uh, qualification or Nations League where, you know, you are not the favourites, but losing or drawing, losing doesn't actually hurt yourself, hurt your team enormously. Um, compared to a knockout tournament where losing means you're out, that's it, you're finished. Um, they are two very different types of pressure. I don't think yeah. they've, they've faced up to that kind of serious competition yet because they've gone into the France games, really nothing to lose. Um, and, you know, I think my doubts are doubts more than ske- genuine scepticisms. Um, I think they'll definitely get out of the group um, and probably make it past around 16. But beyond that, I don't know. Yeah. Um, you me- you mentioned earlier um, teams with uh, a star striker as their, well, star player. Uh, one team who that definitely is not uh, the case with is Switzerland. Uh, or in fact, probably anathema to that idea. Um, what do we think of the Switzerland's chances? I am quite uh, quietly optimistic uh, for Switzerland. Um, there's obviously the view of people who, you know, look at these previews and, you know, you know, the, you, you know, average YouTuber, you know, barely spends a minute looking at things and goes, oh, Shakiri's not informed, so Switzerland are going to be crap. Um, those type of people, even though um, Switzerland's attacking output has actually been much more efficient uh, yeah. since uh, Shakiri got axed from the squad. Shakiri is in their Euro 2020 squad, but whether he starts in their weird 3-4-3 slash 4-4-2 uh, is yet to be seen. Um do we think that there is too much pressure on Switzerland's midfield in Shaka Zakaria and Foyler to be that uh, attacking impetus and that creative impetus even? Um, or maybe even do we think they're a bit stale and worked out on the international stage? Mm. I mean, Louis, like, I, I think, you know, the people who think, um, oh, you know, if Seferovic isn't firing, they're done for. Um, yeah. I think that's, that's, a, that's a bit naive, really. Um, I mean, I, I agree with you on that. I, I think the thing with Switzerland is um, you look through some of their previous fixtures, you look where their strengths have been. It's extremely Swiss. It's very sort yeah. of they, they, yeah. they, they pull it out where, where, where it matters, but but only really barely. They they do their job very seriously. And I mean, as much as it's cliched, I seriously just you know they'll get out of the group second or third. And they'll get knocked out of the round of 16 is the most Swiss thing possible. Yeah, yeah. Fairovich is on form or not. I, I do not see any other way it could go for Switzerland. Well, um, a, a difficulty for Switzerland is um, you know, one of the easiest groups, if not the easiest, you know, things to call in the group stage of this year is, is that Denmark and Belgium will be the top two of group yeah. B. Uh and uh, obviously the side who finishes in group A finishes one of them. Uh well, excuse me, the side who finishes in the top. They finish the second in Group A. We'll play over Denmark or Belgium in the round of sixteen, yeah. Um, which is obviously a very tough fixture. Um, on Wales, 
Um, a, a thing on Switzerland, actually, just quickly to finish it off. They have the most travel of any team at this tournament because yeah. they're based in Italy, even though two of their games are in Azerbaijan. Yeah. Um, as for Wales, um, to be perfectly candid, I know this may come back and bite me. Um, I'm very worried for them going into this tournament. Um, their attacking output has been so poor since the November Nations League, and that's only been exacerbated, in my opinion, by the fact that Keith Moore is not a guaranteed starter anymore for them. Um, I don't have faith in them if they go behind to get back into games. Um, and I think that is a real, real worry for them. And I mean, you know, they gave up their lead away in Belgium pretty timidly and quickly in the March qualifiers, to be honest, which is not a good sign of their metal, yeah. which they're definitely going to need to get out of this group. Um, do you think that um, they just don't have enough quality going forwards, given that Bale's, you know, in pretty mercurial form at the minute? I think, um, well, starting off with Belgium game, I think that's a good place to start, because Belgium game was... A game where if they needed to, if they wanted to prove anything, this was the opportune time to, to yeah. prove it. Um, because in their in their Nations League group, they they only won games they had to win. There was mm-hmm. no, you know, no easy group as well. Form should, should in should at any day of the week be beating Bulgaria, Finland, Ireland, and Bulgaria and Ireland are two pretty shocking teams. Yeah, absolutely. Um, same thing for the Euro qualifiers. Like it was impressive they got that draw with with Croatia, um, but that Belgium game, I remember watching it and I thought they have those. Obviously, it's Wales with the type of players they have. They have those moments of inspiration where they can really not just switch it on, but play it down down the middle, um, play it really really efficiently, um, not be conservative at all, which which worked incredibly to their favour in two thousand sixteen. Um, because obviously Joe Allen on the form of his life, uh, Aaron Ramsey playing great, and they could play it, you know, either up the channels or down the middle. Um, and in any case, it would be really fast football, and you know they, they'd be able to take their chances because they could sweep up anything. I think the question here is uh, they're a lot more timid of that. Mm. They're they're not, you know, taking as many chances with it. Bale doesn't seem as engaged when it comes to moving the ball quickly up the field. You know, as as great form as he's in. The sort of football he's been playing with Spurs, especially, isn't the sort of football that prepares you for playing really sort of you know fast football uh, up the pitch. And I think, especially the teams they got against against Switzerland, it'll be a, it'll be a good game. Um, but against Italy, that they I don't see any way they can make an impact. And against mm-hmm. Turkey, you you can't phase you can't phase teams with that style of play. Um, I I don't know how they would get into the third place uh, of the yeah. group. To be honest. Well, that's yeah, um, if if they don't, I mean, if they don't beat Switzerland in their opener, they're toast. Yeah, exactly, absolutely. Um, look, I'm, I'm open to being surprised by them, but yeah, me too. Everything they've done proves to me that they would beat Switzerland when there are actual stakes. Yeah, but and the way they played against Belgium, especially the way we scored against Wales in that game, really made it seem like they let themselves get a bit rolled over as soon as there's anyone who's sort of more physically or technically gifted. Yeah. Um, just as a general point for this uh, pod, we're putting our objective, um, realistic hat on and not our romantic uh, hat, yeah. which uh, is, you know, equally as important, if not maybe even more important for yeah. 
actual forms, but we got to see. Um, so are we happy to put uh, Italy top, uh, Switzerland second, Turkey third, or Turkey second, Switzerland third? I'd put Turkey second. Well, Turkey, Turkey second. Right, Turkey going right. second. Um, third, to be honest, with the win over Wales. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Through to the, to the next round. Yeah. Um, moving on to uh, Group B, and this is where it gets difficult uh, with this uh, with this show. Tested loyalties, obviously, with Louis, as we discovered when we talked about the Louis uh, Jacques Derby. It's <laughs> Louis Jacques Derby. Thankfully, on uh, opening day or the opening match day, they're not playing against each other. Um, now, Denmark have just looked so good. <laughs> their last five or so games. In fact, they've looked brilliant ever since um, the nil-nil with England in the Nations League all the way back in September, to be honest. Um, there's obviously the added bonus given that, well, I mean, maybe even part of the core reason for why their form has accelerated over the last two to three games is that Jonas Vint and uh, Martin Braithwaite have uh, found, you know, brilliant form uh, for Denmark, you know, to... Uh, go alongside their very diligent midfield and very solid defence. And, I mean, one of the best goalkeepers in the tournament as well, let's not forget. Mm. Um, I think even though Finland and Russia, you know, can obviously throw out a surprise on their day, I mean, the narrative is set, you know, for maybe Nordic neighbours winning in Copenhagen. We'll see. But I think we can be fairly confident that Denmark and Belgium will be in the top two. Yeah. Um, Louis, is there any chance of Denmark beating Belgium to top spot in that middle game in Copenhagen? There's absolutely a chance of it, um, especially because it's in Copenhagen. And yeah. I think as much as I've gone from being Denmark's biggest sceptic to being very cautiously optimistic, genuinely optimistic about Denmark, the way Denmark wins games, um, Big team, small team, and that's what's been, you know, making me optimistic is that it has been against big teams too. Um, you know, the one against England, uh, the what was it the draw with Germany, the thrashing of uh, Austria. You know, very it, impressive win in Israel as well. Very, yeah, Both good one in Israel too. Um, the draw with England too uh, in Copenhagen. I think the thing is, it really comes down to the form of individual players. Uh, luckily, it's no longer what, what's good is that it's no longer just the form of Christian Eriksen because until about a year ago, it just came down to Christian Eriksen on an off day, we are losing. Like, mm. simple as we, we can't find any goals. Um, now, even in games without Eriksen in the squad, I don't think he was in the team for the Israel game. Um, we, we play very, very well. You know, like you said, Jonas Vind picks up the clock a lot. Um, obviously, Hoyberg, fantastic player. Um, Paulson can turn it on every now and again. It's shocking admission. I oh, know, I know. Um, <laughs> um, same with Skolt and Skolson, um, and all the Brentford crew as well. You know, there's a lot of impact players, but it's there's usually only one of them that's having a great game at a time and come against a big obstacle like Belgium. Uh, it could. Everything could click and Belgium could have a really bad tournament and Denmark could absolutely top Belgium in the group. But I think as things stand, Denmark would be happy with coming second in the group and would, you know, they would, I mean, they, they would take second in the group. And to be honest, considering it's not the last game of the group, they take the momentum from whatever we can do to Russia uh, into the next round anyway. Um, 
if we move on to the other two teams in the group in Finland and Russia, mm. um, a lot of people have lazily, you know, put Finland in that same bracket as say Northern Ireland in 2016 mm. in the, you know, extremely easy qualifying group, you know, squad that has been together for a while, finally got that bit of luck in the qualifying group and the manager that's been with them for a while and bang, you know, they ground out qualification. Um, that is just so untrue. Yeah. Um, their recent friendly with Estonia has made me a bit worried, I will be honest. Um, but this is a side who, on average, if we extrapolate, you know, form and quality over the last 10 international games, you know, they're on a par with those B-ranked sides. Yeah. Ukraine, Turkey. Um, I was incredibly sceptical in the Nations League when Carnival, um switched to a 3-5-2. Uh, from a four-four-two, um, he's obviously got an eye on getting more out of um, Leo Versenen and uh, Nico Hamalainen. QPR shout out um, from wing backs, and obviously they the area of their team where they have the biggest amount of qualities in centre midfield, not just with Glenn Camera and Tim Sparv, um, the two stalwarts, um, but also with Robin Lodd, Rasmus Schiller, uh, a few others. Um, obviously, we can't rule out drugged up Ruskies, but yeah. am I? Too romantic in dreaming of Finland versus Russia in St. Petersburg, Finnish winter war narrative in swing. I mean, it's it's surely made for a 1-0 Timu Puki dinked finish on a one-on-one in front of the Huki up fans. Surely, surely. I want to believe. <laughs> you want to believe. I mean, I don't know why you want to believe. Um, I also would love that. And it's not... It's not as far stretch of the imagination, especially with the form Russia in, and especially if they get if if UEFA does an actual job on doping this time, um, yeah, and Russia can't cloak themselves properly, then they got the Sputnik back contest for third place, and it won't be the sort of thing where I think lots of the third place teams are going to honestly come down to lots of groups where the top two are sort of a bit set in stone, and yeah, yeah, yeah. the third place team. The third place teams that go through will have three points from a win, yeah. uh, and there'll be a couple with just one point from the draw with the fourth place team. If Finland or Russia can edge that out, and this is a commentary for both teams, um, then that's proof enough that neither of them are bogey. That on yeah. Finland's side, they're not just, you know, like you said, a team that have gone through with an easy qualification group and they're yeah. good luck. But on Russia's side as well, it'll prove that it's not just. You know, the 2018 wasn't a, wasn't a massive fluke just because of their uh, doping and because of their home field advantage, but they actually, you know, have some quality players in the squad. Uh, and every now and again, they can put it mm. together. It's not very often. Um, yeah. And it takes a lot of doing. But I, 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 will, watch the, I will watch the Finland-Russia game um, as a good warm-up to the Denmark-Belgium one because it will be genuinely interesting i think it's the sort of game where from minute 15 you'll be able to tell who's winning it yeah, but, yeah. um just the outset. yeah um just to finish this point assuming russia or finland win against each other to get that three point mark which you know gets you into that being a best third place team i think finland have a much better chance of getting through as a best third place team because I have a suspicion that Russia might get battered by Belgium or Denmark, maybe a 3-0. Belgium will definitely battle Russia in the first game. Belgium are coming I, to yeah. Euros. And I don't think, yeah, I don't think Finland are going to get battered. 
um, especially not in that Denmark game. I think that Denmark-Finland game is one of the most nailed-on one nils with a goal in the last 10 minutes there has been. (laughs) Um, So I think what we'll do is we'll put Finland in optimistic third and, uh, yeah, we'll we'll keep our realistic heads on and put Belgium uh, topping uh, this group. Moving on to Group C now. This is where Alfie Wilson's strong opinions, and I'm sure you as well, Louis, are going to come to a head. I am so pissed off mm. that Ukraine and Austria have dipped in for <laughs> over the past <laughs> five or six games because Mate. the Netherlands are so bad. Especially Indeed. without Van Dijk, of course. Especially, yeah, yeah exactly. If they had, apart from maybe Group E, but if they had any other combination of teams... They might even be looking at a group stage exit, to be honest. Um, As I say, they are so lucky that Ukraine and Austria are in a dip in form. And obviously Austria are notorious bottle jobs and, you know, North Macedonia, there are questions over the consistent quality of them. And even then, I think Ukraine will beat them in that opening game. Um, I think Ukraine have reached their nadir at international tournaments. Right. Uh, in Euro 2016, and I think that the pressure in that squad will be less felt as well, um, not least because this is coming at a time of much more dumbed-down uh, Ukrainian national identity than in 2016, and there's you know less of an emphasis on a big Euro's performance needed to lift the spirits of the country. Mm-hmm. They've also got a much better squad than 2016 as well, um, and some of the you know under-20 batch... Uh, who won the World Cup in 2019 have come through now in uh, uh, Mikolenko, Matvienko, um, uh, Andre Lunen in goal. Um, and there's just quality littered throughout the side. Um, now with the Netherlands, you know, they can move, they can have swift attacking moves. Um, I'm not quite sure why De Boer has resorted to a 5-3-2 in the friendlies. And I mean, that speaks to playing it in the tournament. And I mean, Louis, I'm incredibly baffled by that to be honest um because i do th- i do think that the 433 catered to the netherlands's strengths the most yeah. um and yeah as i say i mean you could maybe put austria in a similar boat in reaching their tournament the day um but austria are so panicked in games um and you know that they have such a weak mentality when they go behind that you know a, a win for north macedonia in that opening game is not out of the question at all yeah. um so I mean, Louis, do we think it's going to be three unconvincing wins for the Netherlands to top the group? Are they going to be humbled in the opener and then they think, right, shit, we actually have to play well now and then comfortably beat Austria and North Macedonia to finish in second and get a bit of momentum? Um, What do you think the most likely outcome is? I think I'm going to be a little bit unpopular with it, but this is genuinely, not my romantic opinion, but my genuine opinion. Um, Looking at the whole group, um, and I'll comment on, on some individuals afterwards, right? But I think this will be a group stacked with draws. And I think Decent shout. Yep, yep. Um, Austria and North Macedonia, I absolutely think that going to a draw. Mm. Same with Netherlands and Ukraine. Um, Netherlands could do it over Ukraine at home. Again, not fully convinced. I think you you, you saw all the, all the all the reasons of you know just not fully convinced by the Netherlands at all. There, they they do play like pish, um, mm. which is why I do see a draw likely. 
Um, Ukraine, North, North Macedonia. That I see a win for Ukraine. Yeah. Um, but then after that, the thing is, from there, I see it as regular sort of uh, running procedure. Netherlands, uh, Austria, I think Netherlands, like you said, will need to pick up the slack. They'll beat Austria and then they'll beat North Macedonia because, I mean, <laughs> as, not, as my romantic side wants to say, you know, whatever, um, it is still North Macedonia. There is still a gap in class. Um, there is less to exploit there than there is to exploit against Germany. Um, and Ukraine, Austria, same thing, as solid as Ukraine can be. I think Austria will, you know, get a comfortable little one nil cushion to start with. And in that sense, I think Ukraine will be one of the strongest fourth place teams, uh, third place teams, probably the strongest one. Um, but it, it, every single game in this group could go either way. I am yeah. not convinced no, yeah, absolutely. of any of those fixtures going the way that I've said. By the way, perfectly possible in this group that Marcel Sabitzer plays out of his absolute skin and Austria win three games out of three mm. with a you know solid defensive performance. That is more than possible because you know that Austrian midfield of uh, Zavischlager, Konrad Leimer, uh, Marcel Sabitzer in there, maybe even David Alba, if they just go up, oh, fuck off Foda mate we're just going to do what we want here and if they you know ball out then yeah. that is really good and by the way you know the fact that I know, I know this is kind of you know a, a pretty reductive argument but you know just whip the ball in to the box and if you've got someone who's six foot seven in there you know there are you know there are worse tactics to have as a you know yeah. tactic at a major tournament like Sasha Kalajic is in, still in good form um, and he's obviously, you know, got his first goals for Austria now. Um, so that pressure's removed from him as well. Um, so I think, are we going to uh, begrudgingly put the Netherlands top and Ukraine in second, or maybe Austria in second? I'd lobby for Austria in second, but... Mm. Yeah, I'm happy to do that as well. I mean, it, as, as you say, it could go either way here, so... Um, we don't <clears throat> Yeah, in Ukraine, so you can have a goal difference to be honest, or head to head. Yeah, yeah. Um, moving on to Group D, um, and now again, this is where I have another one of my big calls. Mm. Um, <laughs> it's gonna be fun. I, yeah, and obviously you all know this big call. Um, England have a Euros opening game. Who do we've never won our opening game at the Euros? Um, we led in our Euro 2016 opener, ended up drawing one all. Led in our Euro 2012 opener, ended up drawing one all. Led yeah. in our um, Euro 2004 opener, ended up losing 2-1. Led in our Euro 2000 opener, ended up losing 2-1. Led in Euro 96, ended up drawing 1-1. It goes on. So... I thought you were going to go the whole whole way there for a second, Alfie. Yeah. Um, so... That is tempering my prediction. And, you know, England, Croatia drawing the opening game is more than possible. But Croatia, obviously, there's always one team that crashes at a major tournament. Yeah. And there's just so much evidence that Croatia are going to crash <laughs> that you just cannot ignore it. Mm. You actually can't. Firstly, this is no longer a midfield which is, oh, you know, the experience that they've got in that midfield with Luka Modric and Rakitic, you know. They are spent. They're cooked. I'm sorry. Maybe Modric isn't, but overall as a midfield three, they're cooked. Apart from Miroslav Orsic, they have no impetus going forward, no drive, no aggression. 
They cannot break down low blocks, which they're going to face against Scotland and Czech Republic, maybe even against England in certain stages. Um, they fluked to win over Cyprus, lost to Slovenia, and couldn't break down Malta for uh, 70 minutes in the last qualifiers, and have just drawn with Armenia in a friendly. They had absolutely no hope of beating France or Portugal in those Nations League games. And the game they did win over Sweden, they didn't deserve to. External issues are there. Um, there's obviously a lot of uh, backlash on the squad because of uh, certain players that haven't been selected. People are pissed off that uh, Dalic hasn't persuaded to bring back Rakitic for the tournament. And Rakitic has said, no, stop this. And also, they have had to change their training camp. Mm. Um, they've decided to sack off their St Andrews training base and stay in Croatia instead. And, I mean, if they lose, obviously Croatia have a very good opening game record in the Euros, contrary to England, but if they lose that opening game, it could spiral very quickly. Um, and the Scotland, uh, the Czech Republic and Scotland are two teams that have improved so much over the past year. Like, the progress that Scotland have made since their group qualifying campaign for Euro 2020 is ridiculous. Um, and the same is with the Czech Republic. Um, they have plenty of ways to score goals now. Um, Scotland aren't just heavily reliant on set pieces. Lyndon Dykes, for as much as his finishing record is dodgy, he plays such an important role for Scotland and is very effective. Um, and, I mean, they've got rid of one of their hoodoos in qualifying for a major tournament. I see absolutely no reason why they shouldn't banish another um, and get through the group, uh, to be honest. So I'm going to say... England top, Czech Republic second, Scotland definitely with the best place third, and Croatia bottom. Um, I mean, Louis, I'll, I'll go to you on um, the other three teams in the group, and then Aki, I'll go to you on England. But yeah, Louis, have, have I gone too far there? Have I gone too far? Ah, I get why you say it. Um, I'm always the natural sceptic when it comes to carrying form into tournaments. Possibly. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Possibly because I'm from Belgium and Denmark, where, where that has been a hoodoo for so long. Yeah, um, especially Belgium. Yeah, especially Belgium. Yeah. Carrying, carrying form as a tournament means absolutely nothing for us. I fear that, first of all, for Scotland, it will mean absolutely nothing. Because as much as I do want to see Scotland prove myself wrong, to be honest, I, the teams in that group, um, I agree with you, Croatia are, are prone to failing. Again... It's the sort of there's a sort of tournament where, for me, Croatia feel a bit like Portugal uh, coming into 2016 did. Uh, no hindsight, yeah, in parallel, in they feel the same way, right? And hmm. I mean, I don't see them making any of the same progress as Portugal did. Um, so for that, in that sense, I definitely see England beating Croatia. Honestly, I see England getting three wins out of three. Mate, I, I agree. The Czech Republic are. They have some question marks, but honestly, they could you know, they could be doing a lot worse with the squad they have. They have improved so much from improved, their yeah. and it's ridiculous. I mean, they they gave Belgium a effing good game. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I the way I want to put it at the end of the day is that the Czech Republic have a lot of the stuff that you need at tournament to be able to switch it on in a in a difficult game. Um, yeah. Croatia don't have that, but they have. What it takes to, you know, drag out a convincing two 0 and I don't see Scotland having 
carried just enough improvement into the tournament. For that reason, I, I see it. I see the most bog standard finishing of the group football, uh, England, Croatia, Czech Republic, Scotland. But I'm open to I'm open to first of all Croatia disappointing heavily. Mm. Um, just as much as I'm open to Scotland nabbing, honest, maybe a win, maybe uh, maybe two draws. I, I'm not sure yet, but yeah, it's 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 great that that you know that there are so many groups that have you know seeding that makes them genuinely competitive. Yeah, but I think in, in Group D's case, as much as I want to be open to to convincing on, on, on Scotland and the Czech Republic. I don't I don't think Scotland have enough of the, I don't think Scotland have anywhere near the quality in attack that it takes to, to break down a lot of these teams. Or I mean to break down these three teams in particular. because um, as much as I mean what I'm looking forward to especially is that first game. I'll let you guys talk about England, but I just gotta say if there's one major flaw with that Croatia defence is that it is still stuck in nineteen seventy seven. Yeah, like right. England will run rapids over it. But as I say, me and me and Aki will talk about this, but like, yeah. and as I say, we've got a Euros opening game. Who do I get that? But like, all of the evidence says that we will beat Croatia two three yeah. nil comfortably. Like it is it is genuinely as I say, opening game aside, and maybe we've got a mini Croatia who do, but like they are the perfect opponent for England to play in the opening game now because like England is so much better than we were in twenty eighteen of bypassing midfields now. Um, because our quality at fullback and on the wings has improved so much. Um, Aki, do you think that England are going to be expansive enough in the group? Or do you think that the fact that Southgate's conservatism might lead to, you know, very cagey games and that might, you know, get England players nervous during the game and that will lead to a bad, you know, um, reinforcing cycle, or do you well, think you know, the quality England have will stroll through the group? Look, you know, I, I can only speak on evidence, and uh, Southgate has been cagey in the past, so I think he will go for a cautious approach. I mean, the way you describe Croatia, you would think that you know, if you were manager, you would go into it, you know, all guns blazing, um, yeah. exploit every weakness. And um, but no, I, I think he will be cautious. I mean, he's picked four right backs, as we know, it's caused a lot of controversy, <laughs> yeah, but uh. I think he will be cautious. I think um, a one nil or a two one um, will be the most probable result against uh, you know a weak Croatia team who we should you know by your estimation be absolutely smashing. But mm. um, I, I think you know as they say um, five one nils are better than one five nil, and I think that that'll be um, his philosophy. Um, and you look at England's um, squad, that midfield, and that you know. Youth, youthfulness raring to go. I mean, even the most experienced players aren't exactly in their thirties or whatnot in this England <laughs> team. Um, so yeah, um, I really do think that he shouldn't be, but he will be quite conservative. And <laughs> uh, you know, you've got some horses who are raring to go, and I don't think I don't think you should hold them back. I think you've got players who want to prove themselves, and these players don't have the stigma of the past. I mean. Uh, you mentioned England not winning a game of the Euros. Brentford hadn't won a playoff game well yeah, yeah. until this year. And that was a, a totally young squad who didn't have any of the weight of history on their shoulders. And similarly, I think with this team, with so many new faces, um, Grealish, Saka, Sancho, um, and many of these players having played abroad, I think there's really a very good um, 
mix of yeah. you know tactical innovation and awareness in this team, and I really do think that he should let them lose, but he won't. Um, He's a very I, English manager. That's what I'm trying yeah, to say. yeah. Uh, I agree with all of that. Um, so I mean, I think a good compromise here would be to put the Czech Republic in second behind England and then Croatia in third, despite my objections. Um, and uh, we we can move on to Group E. Um, here, um, again, it's a very similar case with Group B in Denmark and Belgium. I mean, Spain and Sweden just are going to finish as a top two here, unless Robert Lewandowski just, you know, plays out of his absolute skin and, you know, buries a hat-trick against Poland, uh, <laughs> against Sweden, sorry, in that final game. Um, Sweden versus Sp- Sweden and Spain are going to be the top two. The opening game is Spain against Sweden. Um, I think Sweden are going to win in that opening game, 1-0. Um, mm. I think it's going to be, uh, you know, just a... It'll be like Gustav Svensson or like somebody like that popping through with a Lampardian run from midfield. Um, this Spain team, uh, despite, you know, all of the new dynamism in Spain's attack compared to their, you know, squads throughout the 2010s, they still struggle to break down low blocks. Um yeah. Last international break showed. I mean, you know, they were 30 seconds away from drawing with Georgia. They drew with Greece. Um, if Kosovo didn't have such a poor day at the back, you know, they might have got a draw. Um, but equally, I am quite confident in the fact that there's not going to be too much pressure on, pressure on Spain in the group stage. Obviously, when it gets to the knockouts, it's a different thing because Spain haven't won a knockout game since winning the Euros in 2012. Um, but yeah, am I am I am I buying into just a quick point on Sweden? Sorry, before I let you talk, Louis. Mm. There's this, I think this misjudged view going around about Sweden that because since 2018, you know, Alexander Izak and Kulasevsky are just, and even Emil Forsberg have just gone on another level of quality. Um, that and obviously they're you know flair dominated players. That the defensive solid balance of the squad has been you know, disrupted and that, you know, Sweden might be in a bit bit of an identity crisis right now. But I just think that they've just got better players mm. in their starting 11 than they did in 2018. And I don't yeah. think that the system has changed fundamentally at all. Yeah. Um, so I really fancy their chances. What about you? I do. I think they've not only got that, they've also got defensive depth. I think not calling up Zlatan for the Euros was the right decision. Well, they did, but happily axed him after he got injured which yeah i, th- I think well, that's- but i think i think honestly him not going into the squad uh for the euros put it that way yeah. um isn't isn't a drastic loss for sweden which is a huge change no, no, from sweden of the past the sweden of the last decade and a half to be honest and they have a, a solid midfield they have a good you know, a very swedish defense to be honest Mm. Um, which I agree Mark, with you entirely. But it's just they have just upgraded their defence point blank. Marcus uh, Danielson is so going to be the baldy centre half of the tournament who gets to the yeah. goal. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I mean, he's just taking he's just taking over from Kazdan uh, for Poland. No, 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 2018, mate. Uh, Gronkvist. Oh, Gronkvist, yeah, King Gronkvist, yeah, penalty to um, And I do see that game going to a draw though, because as much as Look, I want to. I, I am the the personal biased side of me wants Spain to do really badly in this tournament. Um, I think teams like Spain should, just like Germany, get 
punished, to be honest, for having periods of times where they just have a bad squad. And it is their fault that they've gotten to this point. Um, then in 2018, they had a good squad on paper and they did absolutely fuck all with it. And since then, their squad has only declined, right? Yes, yeah. in the last year, but Spain are a shadow of not just themselves, you know, they're a huge shadow of what they were 10 years ago. Um, they're a shadow of what they were five years ago, and they're still a shadow of what they were three years ago. Um, and I want to see Spain not do well. That being said, it is Spain. They will always nick goals. Mm. Uh, they will always nick something, something like that, you know, n- a knife edge. I think that Spain-Sweden game will be a draw. Um, yeah. I see Sweden finishing top because uh, Spain will be unconvincing against Poland and Slovakia, you know, one nil, two nils, whatever. Mm. Um, Sweden just as much, but I think Sweden will probably have a, a goal a goal more in the goal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, like you said, you know, this group does come out down again, like Group B to the top two, being a bit of a class ahead. Um, Poland, Poland are what Poland are at tournaments. Uh, they don't know how to make the best striker in the world play good football, which is yeah. amazing. Um, and a great goalkeeper setup uh, and a good number of defenders. It's always a sight to behold, but yeah, they will do absolutely nothing. And that, I mean, the Slovakia Poland game. I, Worst I, team of the tournament, Slovakia. Worst yeah, team of the tournament. Yeah, Slovakia have got nothing into the, to the tournament. The, the only thing I have to, have to say is that it's the first game. So if Poland turn up with something to offer against Slovakia in that first game uh, and <laughs> they bring it to the game against Spain, um, Something could happen. Not saying it will, but something could yeah. happen. Considering that first game, you know, they'll get the ball rolling. I'm, uh, I think I will put ten pounds on Poland Slovakia being one nil Poland. <laughs> like, it won't um, even be Lewandowski. Uh, just a quick point on Slovakia and then a quick point on Spain. Um, Slovakia are exactly the same team they were in 2016 yeah. in the same squad, and they've just aged five years. Yeah, and they were already a bit of a geriatric team in 2016. Yeah, so. You know, and by the way, like in their qualifying, pl- uh, in their two uh, playoffs to get it against the Republic and Northern Ireland, outplayed in both of the games. And then they are bad at the minute, Northern Ireland and the Republic, you know. Um, so it really doesn't bode well there. Quickly on Spain, I've obviously, you know, there's this, you know, one of the, the weird phenomena in international football is, you know, this, this weird demand of, you know, uh, play the. Well, maybe weird, maybe not. Uh, the demand, you know, pick the players who are in form, um, and you know, international managers will say that, and then obviously not go off on their word. Luis Enrique just takes it too far, though. I think, <laughs> and like, because he genuinely does, and the yeah. fact that there's that's got to now. So he spent the entirety of 2019 alongside Seville, converting Jesus Navas into a right back, which was successful. As and you know, Jesus Navas was exceptional in 2019-20. And now, when it comes to picking the tournament squad, he's he hasn't picked a right back. And Marcos Llorente, who's played the entire season up front for Atletico Madrid, is having to play at right back. And it might have to be Eric Garcia if he isn't in good form. Or, you know, they might have to play inverted wing back Jose Gaia at right back, you know. And even and it's just, you know, you pick a right back in your squad, surely. Um, even if it's like, God, God forbid, but even maybe a Hector Bayron, maybe I've taken that too yeah, far. But like a, a Pedro Porro, at least. 
Um, and I, I think that could come back to bite them. Um, but yeah, to, to round off this group, I, I, I think we'll put Sweden top, Spain in second, Poland in third, but maybe not quite enough to, to get out, but we will see. Um, and now we're on to the big one. The, the biggest one ever at a Euros question in terms of group quality. It's like, um, obviously, Group B at Euro 2012 with uh, the Netherlands, Germany, Denmark and Portugal, which people, for some reason, wrote Denmark off in, even though <laughs> they had a brilliant qualifying group, uh, qualifying yeah. campaign. Um, and uh, I was uh, vindicated in even 11-year-old me when I did my uh, pre-season <laughs> pre-tournament predictions then, even though I had Portugal finishing bottom of the group, not Germ uh, the Netherlands, excuse me. Anyway, um, now we, we, we really do need to tackle this one team by team. Um, and then, you know, how that will manifest it itself against each other. Um, so let's start with the team that we're, you know, you know, the most difficult one to analyse, which, to be honest, is France. Um, yeah. They've got a better squad than in 2018 when they won the World Cup. Um, and obviously, given that squad quality is going to be so paramount in this tournament more than ever... You know, people are putting emphasis on that as being, you know, tournament champions. They've got, you know, Karen Benzema back. They've got every profile of player in the squad you would want, to be honest. Um, even, you know, an out-and-out -out winger in Kingsley Common if they really need to stretch a game. Um, Didier, Louis, Didier Deschamps has experimented with formations and tactics. Um, I, I don't know what to think. The, world, the world's ending. Didier Deschamps throwing out a diamond. Um, what, what is is their luck finally going to run out in squeezing out games? Do we think in this group, or is the just obscene quality in the squad gonna you know carry them through once again? I'm gonna look very heavily on with here. Um, yeah. I don't want myself to be cursed for saying this or yeah. to jinx it myself. Mm. Um, I'm gonna disagree that France's squad has improved since 2018. But yeah, think, no, I'm really interested about this. Yeah, yeah go on. I think in 2018, um, the, and it, it's 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 so marginal, right? I'm not going to be like, oh, it's yeah, gone, yeah, yeah. it's gone way worse. Like, no, I think it's I think it's plateaued and arguably gone a little bit worse, but only barely. And mm -hmm. that's only because going into 2018, same thing as now, sort of thing where with a big team like France, you can't judge them off. Um, pre-tournament form because they always have those glitches and they always have this and that uh, and you can't judge their individual players because their individual players play really differently for the national team however going into 2018 i think they had a much more stable defensive identity good point yeah i think now right now their defense at, at 2018 their defense was honestly arguably top three at the tournament yeah Right now, I don't know where I'd put it. Um, it. It'd be in the mixer in the middle. Because Pavard, again, is just not a right back. He's been there for five years now. He's he, still he can score 25-yard Travellers, though. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he's still not a right back. And people do tend to forget that. Um, Varane has had probably his worst year yet for Madrid. Not terrible. But of all his Madrid years yet, I'd say the worst season. Kimpembe is not being... I love Kimpembe. He's probably the French player I like the most. But even the realist in me 
is going to have to admit that he's had an off-season. He has a few too many glitches in individual games. And Lucas Hernandez went to Bayern and didn't really impress as much as he should have. Yeah. If I can just butt in quick mm. on the point of France's defence. Um, point one. Um, people are obviously arguing a lot about squad depth and the minutiae of, you know, the 22nd, 23rd, 24th player picked in the squad, etc. Yeah. 11 Premier League teams, so the majority of Premier League teams, didn't even use 24 players in the yeah. most demanding season the Premier League. Well, yeah, games, yeah with, with, with nearly, yeah. you know, up to two games a week. Um, point two on France's defence. If if we consider that this time round, France's defence has a rick in them, either from, you know, Pavard being out of position, Kimpembe missing a tackle, whatever it is, Obviously, you'd look at that the depth and just be like, oh, yeah, it's calm. They'll bring in Longley or they'll bring in um, uh, Leo Dubois. I think Leo Dubois is their second choice right back for the tournament. Mm. Um, and, you know, that'll be problem solved. But do you think that Deschamps' obstinance in going, no, c'est Dean Kimbembe Varane Bavard <laughs> might end up biting them, given that, um, yeah, you know, they've, they've obviously got two very you know, Germany and Portugal, you know, two teams that can definitely punish that. I think um, it's the sort of thing where it, it's, he's going to start the same four every game because of that, because of exactly what you said, you know, yeah. it, it is, it is Deschamps. He's going to do exactly what he wants to do. And for him, that means playing the same back four for the entire tournament, apart yeah. from the garbage game against Hungary. Well, but, uh, but, um, well, we'll get onto this. Is it a garbage game? But yeah, as I say, we'll get well, onto it. Um, uh, he's going to see it as a garbage game. It's Deschamps. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we'll see. Um, and if one of them has a brain fart, then he's not going to change a defender during a game because he's got too many attacking options on the bench and he doesn't want to sacrifice a potential sub. Mm. And he's not going to change it for the next game because for him, consistency is the most important thing. So as much as I think Kunde is that, you know, should arguably be starting in defence, mm. I, I don't see him coming on. Now, um, they are coming up against a team in the group stage who I think have the coolest, mm. most lethal attack out of any team. Mm. Not necessarily the best, but the most lethal mm. in Portugal. Mm. Um, they obviously played each other twice over in the Nations League mm. in 2020. France came out winners in Lisbon, 0-0 in Paris. I think it might be different this time round. Um, it is the final game of a group, so maybe you know it, it, it makes less sense to tackle it this way. But I, I, I just think that the Portugal-France tactical battle is the most interesting. Um, do you think that the fact that Ronaldo and Juan Felix, both of their best strengths, are finding pockets of space in whatever concept that is, whether that's meeting across, receiving the ball, whatever, do you think that could be punished against France, who, you know, as I say, they might have a rick in them? It's tough. It is so tough because I also want to say the same sort of stuff on Portugal as I do want to say about France, in that, namely, I think with France, the, the similarity with Port sorry, Portugal, the similarity with France is that they have a lot of players who work suspiciously well with the national team, some players who work especially not that well with the national team. Yeah. Francis Griezmann and Lloris, who... I mean, Lloris is still dreadful, but 
they still turn up more for the for France than they do for their home clubs. Mm. And on the flip side, Conte is virtually non-existent with France, and uh, Mbappe not fantastic with France. Apart from the World Cup, he's done nothing of serious note. Um, and for Portugal, I have I still have so many question marks. On paper, that squad is probably the best at Euros, but Jose Font. Ruben Diaz partnership, neither of them are used to the other type of player. Um, I think Ruben Diaz is used to an extremely dynamic um, centre back pairing at City. Mm. You know, put literally any of the other City centre backs next to him, and they are younger than him, all of them, and very fast, very agile, very good on the ball. Jose Font is good on the ball, but he sits deeper, uh, he's much slower. And he wants to be the one giving the instructions, which worked great at Lille, not convinced it is as much of Diaz. Yeah. Um, in midfield, again, lots of good options. Danilo Pereira, I'm not super sold by him. Um, I think Bruno, is a, again, has had a fantastic season for City, but the way things uh, are United, but the way things work at United is not the way things work at Portugal. In fact, they're probably the most diametrically opposite yeah, yeah, yeah. football there is. Um, and because everything at United revolves through Bruno Fernandes and attack, whereas at Portugal, you've got two bigger ego, two bigger identities in him already up top in Ronaldo and Jao Felix, arguably three with Bernardo Silva. And Bernardo Silva's already more, more of a moving midfielder than, than Bruno Fernandes is. I think there are so many clashing points of personality between these players that they will end up treading on their toes just a bit too much. Um, which means that I think it'll it'll be a great game against France, especially to determine who finishes first in the group, because, I mean, there's no chance in hell that Germany or Hungary come close to touching them. Um, but just, just, just to mention Germany, um, do you want to clarify um, what you thought of uh, Tony Cruz's comments regarding them uh, not making? I was, yeah, I'll, 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 I want to go in depth on Germany afterwards, but just to say, can I, I, can I just nip in on Portugal? Sorry, got a little bit chaotic. Um, uh, I've forgotten. Uh, oh yeah, I'm my ambitions for Portugal are slightly tempered. I think because in the Nations League in 2019, in the summer, in the final tournament. I was like, right, this Portugal, this is the best Portugal team since 2004. This, um, I just fear that they might have already reached their apogee as a team, and that the tournament delay might have just scuppered that momentum because they were pretty unconvincing in March. Anyway, Louis, back to yeah. no, just and then um, I think between Portugal and France would be a great game between the two of them, especially 100% capacity arena in Budapest. Um, that'd be fun, that'd be a fantastic game to watch. Mm. Um, in any case, so uncertain between the two of them. They both have the exact type of default like, the flaws that I that I see from you know the big team, the big names of the tournament. Um, they both are too good, on, better on paper than they are as a team, uh, and and that sort of you know that difference between front end and back end is, is hard to to compensate for. France did it well in twenty eighteen. They could do it well against the, again this year, but again. Lots of question marks for me. I think that ultimately it will come down to that last game. Yeah. And that will answer a lot of the questions about who's going further in the tournament or not. 
probably honestly it'll probably be a one-one draw. Um, yeah. seeing how things are, but like two two good teams on the right day. Um, but they they have questions that that haven't been answered yet. Yeah. Um, Aki prodded you about Germany. Mm. Um, do we? F- Obviously, they they've got Timo Werner up front, so you're going to just probably shit on what I say. <laughs> is you know, is there not an argument that Germany in either of the games against uh, Portugal or France find a layer of dynamism that France or Portugal don't have, especially with Nabri and Sané up front, or will the games be too cagey for that to you know? For that, you know, phenomenon to occur, and I, I just want to know what you what you think on on Germany. Why? Well, I, 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 I don't think they. Well, I mean, because I'm going to get to Hungary in a bit, and I have a gut feeling that Hungary might not finish bottom of this group. Right. And obviously, that might mean that one of the big three teams might tank, and obviously, the most likely team for them to for, to tank are Germany. But I just think. I'm not going to, you know, go in with that cliche of you can never rule the Germans out, you know. Like, they step it up. When it matters, the Germans, they do it. They do it. They just do it. Um, but I do think that if the game is still even with 20 minutes left, um, obviously this, this, this probably won't happen in the opening game because Deschamps will just play out for the draw. But if France do go for a game, there is space left in behind, which if you want any two players to go and exploit, Leroy Sané and Serge Nabry are not a bad two to pick. Mm. Further, obviously, like, Lerve is spent tactically. He has no idea what he's doing, right? Um, there's obviously no tactical intricacies in that team. But I'm not sure, you know, there are with Portugal and France as well, to be honest. Um, y- you know... Um, they're not going to have, you know, Pep-style systematic attacking moves that, you know, they're going to have to, you know, break down uh, specific teams. Um, and so, yeah, as I say, I think in maybe it's more likely in the second game against Portugal that Germany exploit that space in the mind. Um, but yeah, there's, um, I think that, I just think that there's as good a possibility that they might actually, you know, take a win off Portugal or France because of that than that they, you know, tank in the group that, you know, many people uh, predict. Um, uh, yeah. I this I'm prom- I promise you this is not just Timo Werner hate. You know my yeah. Timo Werner hate is is comes from a good it comes from a, a mm. place of, of, of serious well, it can be very strongly argued that your hate has been justified by his performances this season. Yeah yeah. I, I like to, I like to think so, right? My hate is not just an agenda; it's ge- it's just because I genuinely think that Timo Werner is not very good at all. Um, that's all. But in any case, goals have to come from somewhere, and Werner's scoring fuckle, Kai Havertz is scoring fuckle, um, Joachim Löw is the obstacle, but the insurmountable obstacle between Leroy Zane and Serge Gnabry scoring a releasing goal like that. Because as much as I want to agree with you, yes, those are the players with the quality to, to unlock games that are in the draw or something like that. Because it's Joachim Lu, he's going to try and make us. He's going to be like, no, we need a goal. It's, he has to be a striker. He's going to push them wider. 
they're going to be tired because all they do now for Germany, I remember the one thing I noted in the, in the Denmark-Germany game that I watched was that they do all, Serge Gnabry does, uh, no, uh, uh, Leroy Sané does so much work for Germany. Mm-hmm. Not be doing that much work in his position. Um, and that means that by the 19th minute, he is spent. Um, mm. Yeah, I, I don't, I do not see them unlocking games. I do not see them controlling games. I do not see them being them convincing. Yeah. There's nothing in that Germany team. I, I, they are yeah. so spent. Spinning off that, um, if honestly, if that Hungary Germany final group game was in Budapest and not Munich, mm. I would really fancy Hungary to win that. Yeah, and finishing third ahead of them. Obviously, people have said like, "Oh, Shabosh crop for the tournament." So. You know, Hungary just have nothing. Um, but I, I actually don't think Schwarzenegger is that big of a loss um, for Hungary in terms of, you know, the grand scheme, in terms of the 90 minutes of games. Obviously, Schwarzenegger is the player that, you know, is obviously offer of that best individual moment for Hungary, as he showed with his free kick against Slovakia in qualifying against Turkey in the Nations League and most obviously his goal against Iceland in the playoff final. But yeah. uh, as I say, fundamentally in terms of that Hungarian system, he's not that important. Um, they have a full house in Budapest behind them. Um, sorry at Bogdan Pietrasani, but the Carpathian Brigade are nuts, right? Yeah, that, that old group that they have behind the goal. Um, and yeah, I just think that in the group of death, there's always that narrative. I mean, obviously, you know, that 2010 North Korea, Brazil, Ivory Coast, Portugal <laughs> kind of disproved this. But, yeah, it, it's never quite, you know, the big three teams finishing the top three and, you know, there really is that wooden spoon team. I mean, look, Costa Rica in 2014, right? Every, everyone had them yeah. as you know, nil point nil goals and ended up winning the fucking group. Um, as I mentioned earlier, Denmark in 2012, you know, nobody gave them a chance, apart from me. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, they deservedly beat the Netherlands of that opener. And, Louis, as I'm sure you'll painfully remember, you should have beaten Portugal in that yeah. second game where Bentner scored uh, two goals. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, if if you lads are okay with it, I'm just quite tempted to nudge Hungary into that third spot and maybe. I, yeah, I would. I, the way I'm going to put it is that it for me it comes down to the Hungary Germany game because I think that in any case, as much as Hungary have you know a bit of something about them, a bit more interesting football than Germany do. Um, when it comes to the France and Portugal games, for both Hungary and Germany, there are too many holes in those teams. Uh, yeah, that's for them to hold out for a 1-1, right? As mm. much as the comment about, you know, oh, Sané or, or Gnabry can unlock a game is true, there is no way that Germany holds uh, either France or Portugal for 80 minutes. Mm. Uh, no way in hell on earth. Yeah. Uh, however, in the Hungary-Germany game, either team could do that to each other. Germany could hold Hungary, Hungary could hold Germany, and then it could definitely come out in the next uh, few minutes. Absolutely. Hmm. I'd be happy with being Hungary third. Yeah, I mean, same. I'd be they, happy with that. I don't see them being one of the best uh, third place teams. Okay. Um, so are we going to edge for France to begrudgingly top the group then? Yeah, um, I would say yeah. so. Yeah, yeah. Right. So obviously the... I'm going to let the UEFA tournament predictor solve out the third place carnage for me <laughs> um, uh, because it only really becomes clear. So I'm going to tick Switzerland. I'm going to tick 
Ukraine because they will beat North Macedonia most likely, as we yeah. discussed. I'm going to tick Croatia and yeah. I'm going to tick Poland. So sorry to Finland and Hungary. Uh, yeah. The only uh, language in Europe that Hungary has a potential sister with, Finnish. Interesting point. Mm. Um, I'm going to click continue and we're going to see what the knockout round throws us up. Um, so, um, I, but also I'm going to try and remember what venues these games will be at. Um, yeah. I've memorized the schedule. So we have uh, Belgium as Group B winners against Poland as the best third place team. I believe that game is in Amsterdam, yeah. if Seville. I'm not mistaken. Is it in Amsterdam, Louis? Oh, it's in Seville now. Yeah. Oh, right. Okay. Um, uh, oh, yeah, that makes sense. So Belgium against Poland. Oh, I, I don't want to be a... I, I think that's a pretty solid, you know, 2-0, 2-1 Belgium without too yeah. many you know, problems there. A yeah, very yeah. as much yeah. as I'm I, I will have I will have my tournament um chat on Belgium later on uh here. But, <laughs> yeah. But um offer us no problems that we can't that we haven't surmounted in the past. Yeah, yeah. Um Italy against Austria will meet them. I believe Italy Austria would be at Wembley if Italy would well, that's Group A Group C, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um uh, and yeah, Italy is Italy. The fun thing I think about Italy is that I think in so I think in in that sort of game they will win exactly the same way as they did against Belgium in 2016. Uh, opening yeah, yeah. ten minute goal, uh, hold them out for the rest of the game, and then closing ten minute yeah, goal. Yeah. By the way, um, I mean we'll we'll do more general predictions at the end of the tournament. Um, Gigi Reeves' Italy record is only 35 goals. And even though Chiro Mobile is 30, I think he might have a decent chance of chasing that up. As I say, we'll, we'll talk about those kind of things um, uh, at the end of uh, this knockout stage preview. Uh, France against Switzerland. Um, I can't remember where that game would be if France win Group F. That is in um, Bucharest. Is that in Bucharest? Right. Yeah. So France against Switzerland. Um, obviously, Switzerland have their round of 16 hoodoo and... I mean, yeah. that's Likely that they get past that against France for as much as I, you know, love that to not be the case. Um, but Switzerland, by the way, Switzerland obviously before Pekovic took over were a side who, you know, beat the teams that they should be and never have a chance against teams that are better than them. As I mean, they lost to France 5 2 in the group stage in 2014, but um, that's not the case now. Um, Switzerland gave Germany and Spain effing good games. Uh, in the Nations League, and I'm sure in the World Cup qualifier against Italy in September. We don't even need to talk about the Nations League uh, Switzerland against Belgium. Was, yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was serious uh, from them. Yeah. Um, Czech Republic, Spain. Um, I'm going to pause for a moment here because logically it would be a game that Spain would win, but the Czech Republic has improved so much and Spain just, I mean, they have that, yeah, as I say, they haven't won a knockout game since 2012. Um, They've totally collapsed in their last two uh, round of 16 knockout games against Russia in 2018 and Italy in 2016. Um, do you think that the Czechs could maybe take this to penalties or maybe an extra time win or will Dali absolutely play a nice finish from 15 yards? Yeah, I, I think they could very easily try and copy Russia in 2018. Yeah. That, that's feasible. Are we Wait, so Lou, do, do we, are we happy to maybe... Chuck a little upset in here and have the checks going through. What do you? Think? I was going to say that is absolutely a uh, extra time game. Uh, is that the yeah. runner-up game? Mm. That's in Copenhagen then, and 
Yeah, that is such an extra time game. And I think uh, the, the Spaniards can't do extra time. I agree. They they nick a goal in the 90, and they nick a goal in late 10 minute games because they have players who last exactly 90. Mm. Yeah. Um, I think we're going to actually, all right, uh, we're going to knock the Czech Republic through there. I think yeah. that's uh, one of an, another big call from us. Um, Sweden as group E winners against Ukraine. I think yeah. that is at Hampton Park, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, Ukraine. Yeah, I've, I, as you lads know, I have an affinity to Ukraine because of my dad, but I think their run might end there just because of how solid Sweden are and they know how to negotiate games against a sides of a quote-unquote similar quality to them very, very well. Mm. Um, I Yeah, as I say, I'd be tempted to give Sweden the win in that game. By the way, what a kit matchup. That game. Sweden mm. will hopefully be wearing their pinstripes. Uh, oh yeah, game. that'd be a fantastic kit matchup game. Yeah, because they're actually playing a team in yellow. UEFA, don't let us down. We have to give Sweden the nod. That is a game where it comes down to physicality, and then when it comes down to physicality, it's going to be Sweden. That's fair enough. Um, so obviously England, Portugal in Dublin we have now. Um, it could this could go to penalties. Yeah, this one, to be honest, um, and obviously hey. England, Portugal penalties. Oh, no games in Dublin. I'm so sorry. I've completely forgotten. It's now at Wembley, isn't it? Now Wembley. Um, sorry, because obviously I had um as as. Frequent listeners to the kickabout. Now I had tickets for the game in Dublin, so I've had Dublin in my head for so long. Um, sorry about that. Yes, England, Portugal. It would be at Wembley if this happens. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this game would definitely go to extra time. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe even penalties. Obviously, we have a penalty hoodoo against Portugal, but we've kind of banished that penalty hoodoo. Do England have a chance here, or will Portugal's? You know, they're a bit more nous as much as I, you know, think it's an overrated quality um, potentially come through. What a tough one, you know. Um, I'd be tempted to just pick Portugal just to temper my disappointment if it does happen. <laughs> but, but that's just my natural English conservatism coming through, probably. I've got to say, it is so close. All the flaws that I see in Portugal are the sort of things England can exploit. When I say that, that's the England squad. The the, the players England have can exploit that against Portugal. Um, Especially those, because, you know, Portugal's strong players play in the Premier League. It's it's a game made for Sanch, isn't it? Yeah, it is a crazy game. Yeah. One question I had, will VAR feature at the Euros? What, in terms of controversial well obviously it's featuring well, but do you mean well, are they like, going to be horrible VAR yeah, moments yeah. so I wonder okay. VAR is being used just to be it's, it's, it's yeah. UA for VAR so we won't have any shockers like we've had in the press yeah exactly Other oh you're um, okay okay fair enough um, but yeah no it could they'll definitely oh yeah no you're right Aki there'll definitely be a VAR moment in that because game. I, I mean the England-Romania game is going on now and they're not using VAR in this so I just yeah mm-hmm. I, I just wanted to check yeah um, it, yeah. that game is so tough to call. I no, it really is. It really is. If either we we can we can make predictions right now, but either team will have at least one key injury from the group stage, and that will affect that game dreadfully. Um, whatever team it is. Um, because both of them have both of them have uh, tough games in the groups anyway. Mm. Um, tough in different senses. And Portugal are very high quality teams, uh, and England has a uh, very you know, demanding teams to play against. Hmm. Um, 
So it's it's so tough. I'm I'm gonna say England just because of squad depth. Squad okay. depth because they have to we... whatever Portugal you know have got going on. Yes, yes, healthy. Uh, would you edge towards yeah. uh, Portugal out of natural conservative or back England in this? Well, I mean, England in the group stage, Alf, it's too hard to call. But if we go on evidence, then I, I would say Portugal because Portugal are the more experienced team, I yeah. would say. Um, I guess it gives me casting vote. <laughs> and yeah, <laughs> I'm going to err on the side of caution and not it's... tempt fate. Because do you know what it is? It's, it's difficult because... Um, in the 2018 World Cup, um, I, as um, people who, you know, just obviously think I'm insufferable will know, um, I predicted Germany to get knocked out in the group stage and people laughed yeah. at me and I just was, as I say, completely insufferable. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Um, and obviously I had England finishing second and then through various ways, because we would have played uh, Switzerland in the uh, quarterfinals. I mean, that nearly happened as well. But I just go into the semi-finals and people laughed at me. Um, and uh, in fact, I called the France, Belgium, England three semi-finalists bang on. Um, but we'll get to that later. Um, so I'm going to not let lightning strike twice. And I'm going to put Portugal through. Well, um, it's the most England way to go out, Alf. You know, you yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the trend, but yeah. We've been through it too many times, Alf, me in my 20s yeah. at least. <laughs> um, I've just seen something that's made me cry. So the two teams that we've shit-talked the most and dumbed down chances the most will actually meet, according to this, in the round of 16, in the Netherlands against Croatia. The only positive about this would be that Croatia get to wear their red and white checkerboard kit. Probably. <laughs> um, I think, um, I mean, that has... let should, For narrative's sake... Should we just say that um, against Croatia's horrific ageing defence, uh, Quincy Promes bangs in a hat-trick yeah. uh, to, you know, give himself a nice Euros moment. Um, and, and just, yeah, as I say, to follow on with what we've said so far in this, I think. Especially yeah. because, especially because either way, whatever team it is, will get a win against the... If, if Croatia get wins against the Netherlands, they'll be proving a lot of people wrong. If the Netherlands get a win against Croatia, they'll be proving a lot of people wrong. They will yeah. be so stuck on that hung hangover for the quarterfinals that either team will lose regardless. Interesting. Um, so uh, the Netherlands go through that. And then, excuse me, I believe this game would be in Amsterdam. Excuse me again. Yep. Turkey against Denmark. Um, that is very tough to call, but I definitely would go for Denmark. Oh, I'd go um, for Turkey. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Louis, Louis, um, do you put your biased hat on here? What what happens as casting vote? Um, I've, yeah. I've never wanted to be biased with Denmark, and I always, you know that I'm the biggest Denmark sceptic. Um, Turkey is the sort of team we break down. Um, we, yeah. we, we struggle against younger teams, and we I struggle think. against teams with flair. I'm going to put it that way. Um, yeah. For, for weirdly enough, Denmark, even despite having one of the youngest squads of the tournament, um, Denmark plays one of the most conservative styles of football. Mm. And yeah, no, we Turkey's a sore team, we break down. It's not an easy call, but it is a sore game where it's 1 0 Denmark. And, and I can, I'm going to put my money on the line there. Um, and then we move on to the quarterfinals. Mm -hmm. So Belgium, Italy, and I believe that would end up being in St. Petersburg. Munich. May, or in Munich, right, Munich. 
Um, so yes, Belgium, Italy, Louis. I think this has got to be this is this is Belgium. You know, dominating the chances, two nil, one nil loss written all over it, isn't it? This is exactly what I was wanting to say about Belgium, right? Yeah. When it comes to ev- lots of other big teams at the, at the Euros, it's all the big, the big four favourites, if you have it that way, between um, Belgium, uh, France, Italy, and Portugal. Uh, five England, actually, as well. Those mm. big five teams, right? The four others have questions that need answering. France and uh, Portugal, whether France, if they've plateaued, Portugal, if their squad, if their you know potential in their squad of means anything. Uh, Italy, if if all the talk there's been over the last few years actually means anything in a real tournament, and England, if they can you know pull it together, if if you know 2018 was not just a fluke, if they can pull it together for a tournament, every question that has been answered about Belgium has been answered in the last seven years. We've had enough tournaments with virtually the same squad um, for us to know everything about Belgium, and it's very simple. It's that it comes down to the manager's whim on the day, and it comes down to random four-match spells of form. Either we are world-class for four matches, or we are drab. And it can either be an exact repeat of Belgium Italy in 2016, and I mean to a T, an exact I'd be tempted to call that. Or, and I really mean this, there's a 50-50 chance between the two of them, or Belgium is genuinely convincing and win one, wins one nil or two nil and converts some of those chances. Because the thing is, if we convert, and like like you said, because either way we're getting a lot of, we're getting a lot of opportunities. That's going to happen no matter what. Um, you know, we'll have at least like sixteen shots on uh, uh, shots on, and like you know nine ten shots on target. Um, but our, our our big our big flaw is not scoring those. If we put one in the opening twenty minutes. Then we go on and win the game. That 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 that's how Belgium yeah. operates. Yeah, um, um, Belgium is one of the few teams in international football that has, in the last five years, never really faltered from being uh, from being ahead. Um, no, in that sense, it, it does all come down to who scores first. And hmm. uh, Aki, what do you have any call on on that game? Um. It's it's too tough. It's just one of those games where I'd be um it's yeah I'd be I'd, pretty strident in putting it through there to be honest. Yeah, I think you know you're right in saying you know what we've seen with Belgium before. Um, what about Martinez? How do you think he'll play this? It's so tough. It's so tough because he has. I I I, I was, you know extremely critical of Martinez to the same level as Vilmos until the Brazil game. And all of a sudden, we go to our biggest game probably since Mexico, 86. Wow. And he actually plays a competent lineup. He actually plays four at the back. He doesn't fuck about with Carrasco or Witzel at wing back. He doesn't do anything um, silly or stupid or, or out of measure, and but that was just one time because again against France, uh, he 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 was stupid and he made bad substitutions and yeah he wasn't intelligent about it, um, which means that I 
cannot for the life of me decide whether against Italy he will have his head screwed on or not. I think because we won't have faced any real challenge in the group stage apart Denmark is not the same level of challenge as yeah. Italy was in 2016 or England was in 2018. Put it that way. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and I think because of that, um, it'll be a repeat of World Cup of 2014 and Belgium will wait about a million years um, but we'll actually I, 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 I'm yeah this is this is me making a very coin flip decision I would probably you know have a different opinion tomorrow and the day after and whatever especially because we're playing tonight but right now I'm going to say Belgium okay um ooh um as I, say, I, I, I just really want to put Italy through but I yeah I, I can see the argument for Belgium so I'm happy to um, begrudgingly waver there, but uh, you know we'll we'll have our all our own individual predictions as well, um, uh, as well to come through. Um, yeah. France against the Czech Republic and that game would be in St Petersburg, I believe. Mm-hmm. Again, I just think France's squad quality would probably tell in that game. I'm not sure the Czech Republic would have enough. Um, I th- any qualms about me putting France yeah. no. through there? Yeah, no. Um, the same as France against Ireland in 2016. Great shout! Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah, can definitely see um, uh, Jakub Yankto um, <laughs> into the box and you know, yeah, welcoming yeah, one home to really put the nerves up them. Um, Sweden against Portugal then, and that game would be in Rome, I believe. Um, again, I just think that you know Sweden that game would go to extra time again. Yeah, um, we'll, we'll maybe penalties, to be honest. Um, but yeah, like I think I think Portugal are the type of team to thrive in extra time, to be honest, and yeah, yeah probably going their favour. Portugal more legs than them. It's a, yeah. yeah, another quarter final bang out for Sweden then. Um, the Netherlands against Denmark. That's got to be Denmark. Come on. Yeah, we've we've so got. I'm, to- I'm I'm a huge Denmark skeptic, but I am not. I we have a, we will have a tougher time against Turkey than we would yeah. against the Netherlands. That we are beating the Netherlands. Yeah. I I I one hundred percent agree. My neck on the line there, absolutely. No, me, me too. So then we move on to the semis. Um, Italy, no, it won't be Italy against France, thank God, because Italy would have had to have been in their horrendous new white away kit. Um, Did Italy be hosting um, Belgium against France. Wait a second. Wouldn't If it was Italy-France, wouldn't Italy be the home team? Oh, they would actually, yeah. So Italy wear blue and that means France... Italy wear wear blue. Blue. Oh yeah, France's white away is all right, actually. Yeah, white away, yeah. And it would be in Rome. Uh, no, it'd be a Wembley, the semi. But, uh, oh, yeah. It's a, oh, yeah, of course, the semi. Yeah. What am I thinking about? Um, anyway, it, according to this, it'd be Belgium against France. Yeah. Of 2018. Um, I'd be quite tempted to hope that Belgium, uh, you know, learn their lessons or, you know, the fact that Belgium get to another semi-final this time around and they really have that mentality that they can't let this chance slip. Uh, again, um, that you know, De Bruyne would play out of his absolute skin in this game. Um, I've, I'd, I'd also hope that you know, obviously, should nil nil come sixty or seventy minutes in, and you know, Belgium not concede, you know, from a you know sloppy corner as they did in the twenty eighteen semi. That this time round, Belgium have a lot more options to bring off the bench in players like Jeremy Doku, 
Um, and I'm going to say, we, yeah, I was, I was about to say one thing I haven't said on Belgium yet is that Jeremy Doku is an amazing bench option. He is probably yeah. the best impact sub at the World uh, at, the, at the Euros this uh, yeah this whole tournament. Mm. Um, so, so yeah, as I say, I'd be tempted to give uh, Belgium a nod uh, in this game, especially since we have a kind of overall scepticism of France so far in these previews, despite them getting to the semi. Um, so, yeah, and then in the other semi, it'd be Portugal against Denmark. Is Denmark this the fairy tale ends, Louis? Well. Yeah. But no, I I can see it written on paper that that Portugal make it through there. Absolutely. Yeah. Close game though, Louis. No. I think that's another. No, no, in terms of scoreline, like something like two 0 to be honest. I but... think that's another. Um, Portugal Wales in the Euro 2016 play out. No, nah, I, see, I see it something like two 0 I see it like I see a nil nil at half time, um, but it will take you know they'll, they'll they'll score something off a corner, and they'll score something off you know Bruno Fernandes or or, or something. Because again, Denmark are the unsexiest team at the Euros. Put it that way, we mm. we do not play any sexy brand of football. Portugal probably the sexiest team at the Euros when it comes to the sort of football they play, mm. which means that. Yeah, you know, it's not exactly... It is going to be a match between two teams who don't exactly have... Yeah, who have diametrically opposed styles of football. Um, which, in my eyes, means that Denmark do get... Not trampled, but... Something yeah, uh, no technical ability there. And then... Um... Obviously, Belgium would be uh, in their first major tournament final since 1980. Mm. Um, Portugal, obviously, going into it as defending champions for the Euros. Um, I think I'd have to buy the Belgian romance narrative uh, in this game. Um, Louis was is currently, given that Belgium would be the home team on paper for this, this would surely be an occasion ruined by the horrendous kits that would be on display here with the Belgian tyre track kit. And oh, the tyre track kit away teal away um but yeah as i say i i think i'd have to buy the belgian narrative in this one what about you Lou? i want to i want to hear what aki has uh, as an opinion on that does, oh, well, does Aki step up in the final finally well it's a tough one because you know belgium don't exactly have a history of doing this sort of stuff and hmm. whether that's uh you know, whether that will weigh heavily on the players or whether mm. they'll throw that aside or whether they can use that as motivation. It'll be seen because if you have a team like, you know, um, Germany or France or, you know, who have history and a pedigree in the Euros, then it then it's sort of different. But Belgium, you know, in that they're, they're making literal history by reaching that stage. And will the how will the players deal with that? Will they feel like minnows or will they feel like they have a chance? If you get yeah. what I mean. Yeah. Ah. Uh, again, Belgium is two teams at once. Um, okay, like if it's Belgium v Portugal, who 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 are your favourites? Like who should who should be feeling superior? If, yeah, Louis. If it was like a friendly. Yeah, if it was a friendly, just yeah, on paper. More friendly. Yeah, yeah. That's the, that's what I'm trying to get at with Portugal. Like how? But Belgium, sorry. How should they be feeling? If it was a friend, if we were just having a. Let's say instead of Croatia tonight, we're playing Portugal. Yeah. Um, I would, I would have, I would have two pounds on the draw. 
Um, but I genuinely would have it on Portugal to win it. Um, I'm a natural skeptic, and Belgium get distracted by other things. Because Portugal have been there and done that before, and they have players yeah, in that Louis, team who have been there and done that before. Louis, I'm interested. If Belgium were to reach the final, would the media go crazy and be like, "This is it, lads! Come on, you're, you're oh. never. This is never happening again." The great yeah. thing is the Belgian media is so irrelevant compared to, or at least their impact on the squad is so irrelevant compared to honestly every other nation in Europe that yeah. it wouldn't matter that much. Mm. Um, they would just think themselves into the pitch. Um, that squad is full of overthinking. Mm. Um, yeah. yeah, so so we might um, begrudgingly say Portugal retain their crown after a shaky group stage. Um, just to, to round off the previews then, um, three categories, no, no, four categories, right. First of all, golden boot winner, I think Immobile, Lukaku or Kane is pretty much a nail on here. I'm going to be a bit hipster and I'm going to go for Chiro Immobile as my golden boot winner. What about you, Louis? I'm say Rom. I'll be with Louis. I think if, if Belgium do reach the final, then Lukaku has it. Um, breakout star of the tournament. I am going to go with Meridemiral. And I think Ooh. obviously everyone knows him at the minute, but I just think people are going to realise he is right now on the cusp of being absolutely world-class despite his recent injury. Um, what about you, Louis? Who would you have said was breakout in 2016, just so I can get the right... I mean, I know, obviously, it sounds a bit farcical now, but Renato Sanchez? Well, I mean, no, in 2016, that's absolutely fair. Um, right. That regard... Oh, my goodness, that is so tough. Louis, I think if, if Denmark reached the semi-finals, as we're saying, then a Dane wouldn't be a bad shout. Yeah, if Denmark reached the semi-finals, Jonas Vind, to be honest. Yeah, Jonas Vind. Um, if he scores more than three, then it's Jonas Vind, full story. Yeah. Um, that That's it. Uh, if he scores any game, any goals in the knockouts, it's Jonas Vind. <laughs> um, otherwise, I think a bit of vindication for Renato Sanchez if they win, having mm. gone you know to the to hell and back. Um, or... Oh, God, this is a tough one. Um, or Doku. If I'm completely honest, I can, I can see him really changing games for us. Yeah. That's something we have we have absolutely lacked in previous tournaments. We have not... Our game changer in 2014 was Diva Karigi, and that's in, in 2016, it was no one. 2018 as well. He, he's been the best sort of game-changing option we've had on the bench. Yeah. Um, now we have a good one. I... Yeah, he could come on and actually, you know, make or break games for us. In the mould of um, Simone Zaza in 2016 with his penalty, or Carlos Sanchez for Colombia in the 2018 World Cup getting sent off against Japan after four minutes. Who will be? I think I think we, we should finish on this one for a bit of a laugh. Oh no, no, maybe one more after. But who is going to be bonehead of the tournament? with the biggest bonehead moment. My money is on Nathan Aki getting a red card for the Netherlands against Denmark <laughs> in the knockouts. 
<laughs> it's got to be a Dutch player, given what we've said, or maybe maybe a Croatian <laughs> player as well. Uh, <laughs> um, no, my money's on Rafa Varane being stupid. Oh, good, good left field shout. And finally, really dumb. Yeah, um, most most important one, I guess. Player of the tournament. Um, I guess if we've got Belgium going to the final, Kevin De Bruyne is going to have a good shout there. But I'm going to go with again a bit, a bit of an interesting one. I think Nicolo Barea for Italy is going to drop a nine out of ten in every game that he plays Ooh. after because he, he and he's coming off an absolutely stellar season with Inter as well. Let's remember. Hmm. Mm. If Belgium wins it, Lukaku. Ooh, interesting. Uh, Imagine Louis saying that in the pre-COVID world, eh? Yeah, I I hate having to say it that way, but um, yeah, it it would have to be him because if we win, if we if we win the tournament, then he's gonna have then then it sort of implies that he will have scored um, at least like six, seven goals. Yeah. uh, also, otherwise, if Portugal make it that far, then it means that they would have pulled a lot out of their ass. And hmm, can't put a name on it. Danilo Pereira, maybe? No, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe honestly, honestly, maybe Rumidius. Very good shout. Um, and with the final note of it being the Premier League Player of the Year, according to the BBC pundits, that's maybe quite a nice note uh, to end on. It's uh, gone on for nearly an hour and 40 minutes here, so it's been a bit of a slog. Um, but it is the first tournament together for all of us as mates, um, which is something that will be very fun. I'm very much looking forward to Euro Super Saturday. Um, and well, to be most honest, watching a Denmark and a Belgium game with somebody who's going to be really invested in it uh, as well, which will be quite funny. Uh, but Louis, thank you so much uh, for coming on and uh, sharing. Yep, thank you, Louis. Um, also, we'll probably do a review after the tournament. Maybe after... for the group stage review, a knockout preview. And then... Yeah, a knockout preview during. So, you know, we will we'll still be around for our listeners. And uh, yeah, it's been a pleasure having you, Louis. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you, boys, for being on board. Great, great chat. This uh, again, so many fifty fifties. This is probably the the tournament uh, that we've all needed after a very long, not only after the last year, but also after the last um, few international tournaments we've had. Um, there are genuinely you no know, scripted games in this tournament, and that is fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. So, uh, thank you, Alfie. Thank you, Louis, and we'll see you soon. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.